So I literally got the best birthday present last year. It was a very large sum of money, but in stock. I came out and there was like a table full of all of these gadgets and like trinkets. I was like, I'm confused. Like, is this supposed to be a trick? Like what's happening? And basically long story short, I got all of my favorite things, but he bought them for me in stocks. And literally in one year, my stock doubled. Welcome to the final episode of Needing Dough, the podcast season four, presented by Uninterrupted and Chase. I'm your host, Andrew Hawkins, a.k.a. Hawk. On this show, I sit down with your favorite athletes to have a candid conversation about their experiences with money. And we hope that you, the listener, pick up some tips and tricks along the way to apply to your everyday finances, too. And that's where I come in. As a former NFL wide receiver, I'm here to bring my personal perspective on how the lessons you're going to hear translate to you and your life. Now, before we start this conversation featuring U.S. Open champion Sloan Stevens, this show is brought to you by Uninterrupted and Chase. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. It's free, it helps others find the show, and it notifies you every time we drop a new episode. And now, I am so excited to introduce today's guest, tennis champion and incredible businesswoman in her own right, Sloane Stevens. Ever since she hit the professional circuit at the age of 14, Sloane Stevens has been under a microscope for her whole adult life. And after becoming the lowest ranked U.S. Open champion ever, she caught the world's attention, both for her abilities on the court and her enthusiasm for everything she does. And with that came life-changing amounts of money at a young age. On today's show, we dive deep into the topic of wealth management. Sloane prides herself on being a conservative spender and a big saver. She's also a proponent of making your money last through smarter investing. On this episode, Sloan shares how she's managed to navigate the world of investing, her passion for what she calls fun stocks, and how she's learning to build long-lasting wealth. All right, let's get to the episode. Sloan, how you doing? Appreciate you joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me. So we'll get right into it. Uh, you know, you, you, you talked a lot about your mom and how she's taught you to learn from people around you. What are some of the business lessons she's instilled in you as you've come up? Oh, my mom. Okay. One, my mom is like the best ever. And two, she's so smart. So she always is like telling me like, oh, you have to do this. You have to try this. And our family education was like really big. So going to school, like all that whole thing was like, yeah, you can play tennis, but you have to finish high school. Yeah, but you need to, can't be the only person in your family who's like doesn't have a college degree. So like all of those things are very important. And then as I like got older, she was like, let's learn about like stocks and what's happening in the world. And I was like, okay. So now we kind of like share that mutual thing. We have some of the same like older uh, hobbies, I'd say. Right. So now you guys are similar. So what kind of businesswoman is she? Um, my mom literally does everything. Like she's the person that like the go-to person. Like if you if you need anything that has to do with business, you go to her and you're like, how do I start this business? How do I like do a website mm. for this business? What do I do for my taxes? Like she's just one of those people who knows everything. And you're like, okay. I tell my friends like, oh, you're having problems with that? I'm like, you should call my mom. She definitely knows what to do. So with business, she's like very savvy. She is on top of everything. If she doesn't know, she'll like find it out for you. She's always that person who like knows someone or has like a resource who's like, okay, yeah, like my friend's a lawyer. Like 
go to him or like one of the, she's one of those people like he just knows everything. Mm. Did you take that for granted or was it like you knew from the start like oh I'm I'm good in the business department because I got mom. No, no, I have mom and I have like a lot of other people that I trust with business that are like close family friends like my uncle Ronald mm. is I would say, well, I could never tell him this, but like smarter than my mom business-wise. Like he went to Cornell, like he just is pretty much a genius and he my mom's like very savvy with stuff. My uncle Ronald is very by the book and follow every single rule. So I have like kind of the best of both worlds, I'd say, for business. I love that. And we're going to get into to Uncle Ron uh, deeply in this conversation. Now, if you, if you could teach younger Sloan one thing about finances based on what you know now, what would that be? I would keep it the same motto. Like from when I was younger, I was always like, I need to save all my money. I don't want to be old and broke. Like I need, when I was like 16, I was like, I need a retirement plan. Like I need a 401k. Like I was very into like saving money, like the whole thing. And when I got my first check, I was like, okay, what bank am I going to use? Like, who are we going to go to? Like, I was always very like, I couldn't wait to get money so I could save it and like do something with it. But I would say then I had like no concept of money or how much things cost. So like now I do. Mm. And now I'm even more frugal. Like if you ask any of my friends, they're like, she's the cheapest person ever. Like if $2 (laughs) is missing from my bank account, I'm like, who took it? Why did we wire them $3? Like I'm very like on top of every single thing. So yeah. That's very advanced. So you, you never had your stage where you were just splurging and not really being as sound as, as you're describing? This is You've been this way from day one? No, like I haven't. I would say like my biggest purchase has been a house. And I was like, I need to wait till the mortgage mm. rates go down to get a house. Like I'm not. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which is wow. so bad. But I've, I don't know. Like I've just always been super like conservative and I've never want like I think Uh spending absurd amounts of money on things that like you just are material things is like kind of what's the point of that like I'm very into like experiences and things that I'll remember for the rest of my Mm -hmm. life like like that is what's important to me and I feel like a lot of times people like a professional athlete you just assume that you know I have like these expensive cars and this like massive house and like all this stuff like yeah I have a few Birkins and like they're nice but I can't just spend all my money on that. Like I need to like save up. I need to make sure my kids can go to college. I need to make sure that in case one day I'm like old and like I need to, I want to go to the Bahamas and vacation all the time. Like I got to make sure I can do that. I got to make sure I'll be able to afford my nursing home when I'm like 85. Like there's like so many things in life you have to plan for. I'm a planner. So yeah. So I mean, you're the kind of person that again, sacrifices now. So that you can do what you want later and put yourself in that situation. You're always planning ahead, which leads me to my next question. The Olympic Committee sets up scholarships for athletes to complete their MBAs. Take us through that process. Well, that was like honestly kind of a mistake. Well, not a mistake. It's good that it happened. But the process in which it happened was like very fast. In 2017, when I won the U.S. Open, I was in school and I was just about to finish. And I said, oh, like the the WTA, I got my undergraduate at with the WTA through IU East. And it was great. It mm-hmm. was such an amazing process. And after I was like, okay, like maybe I'll get my MBA because I've just been in school. So it would be easy. And like the programs are shorter. Like it's going to be two years. So I was like, let me just like look into it. And when I did, I happened to get an email from the Olympic Committee. But you have to take like a test to get like in, to get accepted. So obviously I was like, hey, let me take the test. I figured that was, I graduated in December, so I did it like in the first week of January. 
And I was like, okay, like I'll test and then see mm. if I pass the test and then I test and I'll do it. And then I'll start maybe like in the fall. And I called a lady, we spoke and she's like, okay, great. Like you passed, you got in. I said, amazing, so exciting. I was like, so I'm going to start in the fall. And she's like, actually, she's like, you can start taking two classes next week. They start in three days. And I was like, wait, what? I was like, I don't want to start now. Like, I thought I'd have time to like hang out and like do some stuff. But of course, I was still hanging out, but just in school again. And then I was like, might as well go for it now. So I just took one class at a time. And yeah, took me a while. But man, those group group projects are not the business. Not the business. I got my master's degree too. And that was not fun. That was the hardest thing I'd ever did. Let me tell you, I was cussing some people out over quarantine. Like I was not, <laughs> I was like, you know what, you guys, we're in a quarantine. I don't know any of you guys. You're up late. You want to do calls at like 11 or 12 PM. Like I have to work. Like I'm getting up. I said, oh, baby, this is going to be the last of this because having to do that was not playing tennis is hard, but having to do a group project is probably one of the hardest things I've done in my life. Like, I'm not even kidding. And for you, you're a tennis player. Like, it's the, everything is on your shoulders. I can do anything myself. I'm the only person to worry about. In group projects, you got to make sure everybody else is holding their, holding their weight. All right, Sloan. So on this side of things, uh, what, if any decisions, might you have changed in your career path? after you've learned so much about business? So now, like, I'm very into, like, investing in companies that I partner with and brands that I partner with because I feel like there's, like, a better connection when Mm -hmm. you're actually invested in the product or invested in the team. And, like, I just really don't like having, like, brand partnerships with people and having, like, no relationship with them. And then after two years or three years, they're like, okay, bye, like, see ya. And I'm like, okay, that was, like, I just gave you three years of my life. Like, I see you all the time, communicating with you all the time, and, like, nothing to show for it. Just like, okay, that's it. And I feel like I would have invested in brands and companies more when I was younger, if I would have known like the long term, like, like what, what, what could, what could be like with investing in brands? Like I just wasn't really like, obviously I was so focused on saving money and figuring out, you know, what to do with my money and how to invest it. And like, but I was investing it in other things, like, you know, finding the right, you know, bank and finding the right people to trust with your money, like taxes, like all of these things come into play. But I never really focused on like the brand side of it. And I definitely would have started investing in brands and companies sooner if I like knew how it could be. Tell, tell us about that. When did you first start investing? Do you remember what your first move you made was? I would say when I, like I said, my Uncle Ronald's like smartest person ever. So when I first got like my first little Mm. chunk of change, like we automatically did, like my grandparents had been using the same like life insurance and insurance people for like ever. And my Uncle Ronald was like, okay, like let's get, you know, like a 401k. Let's do like all of your retirement stuff, like all of that. And that was like very he like made me go with him to like, look, this is what you're doing. Like you need to learn this so you can know, like these are like all the points that you need to see, like how much you can put in every year, like what, how you can max out your pension, like all of these things. Like I learned that at a young age and I feel like, not that that was an investment, but it was more of just like learning actually how like long-term things work instead of just like, okay, they, you know, you play a tournament, they put the money into your prize money and then like, that's it. So I'd say like that was like the start of me learning like investing. And then as I've gotten older, like obviously 
mm-hmm. having more money or more a significant amount of money that actually can like move in the marketplace. Like it's so weird. Like when you go to a tournament, every different tournament has a different banking system that they use. And like when money comes mm-hmm. from Europe, like say like French Open, they take out like 40% taxes and like it's like a whole process you have to go. Like it's very like complicated. But I feel like investing all like kind of goes back because if you watch your money and you actually like pay attention to it, it's like an interesting process that like you go through. I'm not sophisticated investing at all and I'm super conservative, but I feel like I know like enough. Right. And you were exposed to it early. Being 18 years old, being exposed to that, that's actually really early in in the process. And obviously having your Uncle Ron was a a really big deal. How, How did you guys develop that relationship? Uh, around finances between each other? Was it just like, oh, hey, this is your financial guide. You don't have a choice. Or was it there a process to understanding before you guys really got to the nitty gritty? No, I feel like with my Uncle Ron, like my Uncle Ron is like took me to my first like father-daughter dance. Like my Uncle Ronald and my mom are like probably the close two closest siblings. And so when I moved to Florida when I was uh, 10, my Uncle Ronald was the only person that lived in Florida. So we spent so much time with him, like me, my mom, my brother, like we were always all together. And I felt like I trusted him the most. Like he would take me on like shopping streets for my birthday. Like my uncle Ronald got me my first Tiffany necklace. Like he spoiled me and then was like, okay, now you have to save your own money so you can buy like your own stuff. And I was like, man, like you don't keep buying me stuff till forever. Like what's up with that? But I feel like We had such a great relationship. So when it did come to finances, I was always Mm -hmm. able to call him and be like, is this a good idea? Or what do you think about this, like this brand? Like, what do you think about like developing with this type of person? Or like even like small things like coaching and like where I should be training. Like I always feel like my mom, my uncle Ron, like my grandparents were always like so steady and like helping me like make decisions and like having like a level head about things. So I think when it came to like finance, obviously my uncle Ronald went to Cornell and like business school. So he's mm-hmm. like super smart. So I, I trust him. I trust my mom. And I just felt like the two of them, like those two brains together, like I, I really, some people aren't as lucky. I'll just say that. Yeah. No, that's an incredible support system. I mean, did, did it, did it yes. influence you to learn more about money or were you, you know, were you hesitant? Did, did you were you just like, oh, Uncle Ron is handling it, or were you really hands on trying to make sure you grasp it for yourself? No, no, no. Like I really wanted to learn. Like when I'm when I tell you, I wake up in the morning and like check my bank account. Like I'm not playing. Like I literally will not allow three dollars to leave the account unless I know who it's going to. And I just feel like maybe. I've always had the fear, like a legit fear, of being like old and broke. Like I don't know why. Like. Yeah. I just felt like it was like, Mm -hmm. I just didn't want that to happen to me. Like, I know most people's fears, like, I don't want to be like old and alone, but I'm like, I can be alone. I just don't want to be broke. Like, I need to be able to like go on vacations (laughs) and like live my life. And, and I don't know, it's like genuinely been like a thing that I've always had. Um, And I think my uncle Ronald, my mom, like, I've always said, like, I've always verbalized, like, what, like, teach me what I need to know so I can be independent and live on my own and like do everything that I need Mm -hmm. to do by myself and not have to like worry about someone taking care of me or like I don't need like a man yeah. because I don't have any money like I always like was so fearful of that I don't know why but now that I have my own money I'm like okay this I've done everything right I feel like mm-hmm. there's so many things that could go wrong in this process like when you see other athletes and you see other people like the way they invest their money like I had a friend who put an MBA and he's like I invested in a chicken coop and I was like why did you do that like 
there's so many things that can go wrong in this space. And I feel like I always was like, let yeah. me make sure I get all the right advice. I want to do all the right things so like I can be like okay and taken care of when I'm older and like feel secure about my finances. I mean, it's almost worse to get it and lose it than it is to never have it, right? And it, it is very important for you to take the time to educate yourself and put yourself in a situation to learn and get as much information as possible so you really can give yourself some kind of insurance that you know, you're going to make it last as long as possible and maximize. Definitely, definitely. So what would your advice be to somebody who is like, feels like learning the process of investing in your finances and financial stability is tough? Because it, it, if you don't know or you don't have that support system, it, it, it does seem like a daunting task. So I always try to tell people like it's the first step is just to get information. And it's really not as complicated as it seems on the outset. It's just a matter of starting the process. So what would your advice be to people who feel that way? Yeah, I feel like starting the process is the most important part because I feel like when you go to like a bank or there's anyone that you can go to for financial help, like if you ask for help, they can help you. But if you just like sit at home and you don't ever ask and you're like, oh, it'll take care of itself, like it'll figure itself out. I can just get a business manager and they'll figure everything out. Like it's not going to work. Like you actually have to be invested in yourself enough to then be invested in like your money. And I feel like a lot of people just don't take the first step, but the first step is so easy. Like if you think about it, like banks and bankers and investors, they make money off of your money. So they have like a genuine interest on making in making you money. So I think people don't think about that way. They just think like, oh, like it's another yeah. step for me to take. But Obviously, people who have buku amount of dollars and like NBA players and athletes who just make a, a ton of money, like I think sometimes, like obviously a lot of them have business managers and whatever, but a lot of them don't actually like take the time to like learn about their investments and stuff like that, which I think mm -hmm. is like they make so much money that they could like literally change the dynamic of like businesses and companies and things like that and they don't even realize so that's what i think is like pretty bizarre because say you know someone that makes 25 million dollars a year like that literally changes the dynamic of like a new startup or a new a small business like things like that which i think a lot of people yeah. don't think about they're just like oh like my money it's in the bank it's whatever but like now that I've actually paid attention and like thought about it, like even now, like in the pandemic last year when we were all talking about like black owned businesses and like women of color businesses and like all of these things, I was like, there's so many people that have so many, have so much money and they don't actually realize like this much of their money could literally propel a small business into a Target or a Walmart or whatever it is and like really change the mm -hmm. dynamic of, you know, another person's life and like the the trajectory of a whole entire generation of you know people and this like one small little group of people and like thinking about it like that like how people invest in things like I think it's so important to like really pay attention to your finances because they don't like the generation like gap and the generational wealth like it really you can support so many groups of people with doing like very little if you just pay attention just like Sloan said the most important step in your investment journey is always the first one. Taking the time to learn and understand how to make your money grow can have a significant impact on making your own wealth last and in turn, help support those around you. After the break, Sloan will share more about her experiences investing in the small businesses she cares about. All right, 
Let's get back to my conversation with Sloan Stevens. So, Sloan, you talked about your support system. Why is it so important to have this accountability partner and advisor with your finances? Well, I personally think it's important because if you have a, a, an advisor or a, an accountability partner, as I call them, like the advisors, well, they shouldn't let you spend all of your money. They will have like, they will set you up and say like, this is your allowance or this is what you can spend every month or this is within your budget or they help you, you know, be financially savvy and aware and safe and, you know, not to overextend yourself. And I feel like your accountability partner, even if that's like, your mom or your fiance, like, bro, you spent $10,000 yesterday. What did you buy? You didn't need that. Like, those are the types of things like you just have to be aware of. Um, I feel like if you have an actual advisor, like you can come up with all of these things, all of these plans to help you, you know, pay attention to, you know, how much money you're spending. Like you can, there's so many ways you can set yourself up. Like, put your, you know, your app on your phone to see when you're withdrawing money or your credit card, like those things are always really important. And I feel like not enough people do that. They don't utilize like the apps and like the the things that your bank provides so you can stay up to date with how much you're spending and how much you're not spending, like automated bill pay. Like these are all things that are like easy, that you have easy access to, but not enough people actually utilize. And I would say these things along with the advisor, accountability partner, like utilizing apps and things that are helpful to you is super important. So Sloan, what are some baby steps that, you know, everyday people can take uh, for them to start thinking about and working towards their own wealth management? From what I understand about banking and, you know, how you can take these steps, like when you walk into a bank, they have like people that are there to help you, like whatever you say, hey, I'm here to open a bank account. I'm here to you know, invest my money, whatever it may be. And I feel like even like I told you my brother before, he's like, I don't want to go to the bank. I don't want to do that, whatever. Like taking the first step of walking into the bank and just being like, hey, this is what I need. This is what I'm looking to do. That is like the first step. I feel like that's like the baby step that you have to take to just be like, I'm willing to like be open to learning more about this. Or do you guys invest here? Do you guys, what do you guys do? And I feel like that is like the first step of being even open and willing to learn about anything with financial literacy or financial freedom, financial wealth, whatever it is. And asking those questions, like to me, that's really important just because a lot of people don't ask questions. They just literally will let their money sit in the bank and like, like, oh, it's safe. Yeah, it's safe. But is it growing? Are you making any money off of it? Like what's happening here? And I feel like that part of like, just asking the question, like, is so easy, but it's like so intimidating. So I would say like, just calling them. Like you literally can call the bank and be like, hey, I'm, I would like to do this. Can someone help me? And I feel like taking that first step, that baby step is super important. You talked about small business investments. Quantum Energy Square seemed like your first small business investment that you sunk your teeth into. How did that come about? It's so funny because the story of that is so bizarre. I played Junior French Open when I was 16, I think. And one, a guy and his daughter came and watched me play and had six when I was 16 that was so long oh my god I feel terrible when I say my age out loud but (laughs) when I that was so long ago um I played junior French Open way back whenever and he brought his daughter they were living in Europe at the time and then fast Mm -hmm. forward to two years ago a guy named Dan who owns and the CEO of Quantum Energy Squares reached out to my agent and was like you know Sloan's one of my favorite players 
I watched her so and so long ago at the French Open. Like he told like me and my mom the match, everything, and I was like, oh my god, I remember that. And my mom was like, I remember him because the match that we that he went to, I was playing against a French girl in France, and she was supposed to like win the tournament, and everyone was cheering against me, like the entire crowd, and there was literally like three people yeah. in the whole crowd cheering for me, and it was like him, his daughter, and like the, my one of my mom's friends. And she's like, I totally remember him. So like we had like a genuine connection from the very beginning. And then, you know, after that I was so I was like all emotionally involved now. I'm like, oh my God, like mom, do you remember? Like, you know, we were having like a moment. Um, but then when I mm-hmm. actually tried quantum, I was like, I actually like this bar. I don't drink a lot of coffee. Mm-hmm. And like as I've gotten older, I've always like looked for things like to like help me on court. Like, you know, they have like a lot of like goos and like things that you can eat. And I was just like it, that upsets my yeah. stomach. Like, there's like so many things. So, actually, genuinely, when this came about, I was like, I actually like this. I like the taste of it. And it's not like making my stomach hurt. And I don't drink coffee. And I'm trying to be an adult. So now I can tell people I actually drink coffee. Well, I eat coffee. Um, so, it was like kind of like a full circle thing. And obviously, getting to know Dan and like how he runs his business. Like, like I said, a small business, like something that we're not small anymore. We're getting big, just FYI. But when we started, (laughs) when I started with Dan, um, he was very open to like sharing the business with me and like teaching me and being like open and showing me like what his goals were for the company Mm -hmm. and like what he expects and like what, where he's trying to get into, like, you know, the trade shows they go to, like what the company, like the goals were. And I felt like, no one had ever really taken the time, obviously, except like my mom and my family members and my uncle Ronald to like walk me through like, you know, what their goals were and what the plan was and how he was going to get there. And like I said, I felt like I had a genuine connection with him because I was able to learn from him. And I feel like that's very important when you're, Mm -hmm. when you're investing in something, you're putting your own money into it. Like I want to see this brand develop. I want to see it grow. And like being a part of that is I think what makes like investing, investing, like you get to see like your money grow and you see it develop into something. Like when I see quantum, I'm like, that's me, y'all. You see me, right? Like I'm giving everybody a quantum bar. Like, and you know, like there's a sense of like pride because you're like, you know, I, I, I'm helping with this. Like I'm actually invested in this, like not, not just like money wise, I'm fully invested in everything that's going on with yeah. quantum and it just feels better. Like it feels like a better relationship just compared to like, oh yeah, we use her to like post stuff on Instagram. Like, no, like I feel like I'm a part of something. I, I love that that thought process of like, you know, I can invest in, in, in businesses, but I can invest in businesses that I know, A, that I know and love and I use and they help me because I've tried them. But then also that I know that I can affect the trajectory because I'm a tennis player. And, you know, this company that, you know, yeah, I could be an ambassador and, and get a check, but then I could actually help on the business side and, and there could be a deeper relationship there. I, I love that. There's always going to be risk with investing in businesses but I feel like you are controlling a little bit more of the trajectory that way. Are those the types of businesses that you usually invest in? Yeah, like I feel like I need to invest personally. This is not, and no one else has to do this, but I feel like I need to have a connection with whatever I'm investing in. Like I want to be mm-hmm. able to say like, you know, I actually do this. Like I actually take quantum bars to my locker room and like pass them out. Like I actually am like, girl, you need, you law and energy. Let me give you this quantum bar. Like I'm that person, but I do that with every, mm. like everything I have. Like I'm a very sharing giving person. Like that's what I do. But I feel like 
I want to be passionate about whatever I'm doing. Like I don't want to half ass anything. So for me, like being full, you know, fully engulfed and like, I see every Instagram post, I'm liking every picture. Like, I'm like, why did I just said this morning, I was like, why did they post it like 4am? I was like, I was asleep. Like, what is going on? Like those types of things, like I'm really like paying attention to. And I feel like if you're not like, this isn't everyone though, like investing and like being this like invested in it is not for everyone. Like I have just taken a, a very like big interest in this type of like work and branding and building. And so for me, it's very interesting and I'm very into it. But everyone's not like that. If you're like a low-key investor and like you don't want to be like as involved, that's still okay. Like you still are, you know, making a difference or an impact or having that relationship or growing your brand and building whatever it is that your portfolio, whatever you want to build, you just are doing it differently. So everyone's different, but as long as you find a way that works for you, I think that's what's most important, obviously. So does that play into like the negotiations or whatever you're doing from a term standpoint? Because I feel like when you're that invested not just from a money standpoint like you said you, you're a true ambassador like you're telling friends and family you're posting about it you're sharing posts you're liking you're contributing to the business you're giving insights that I feel like that should go into like what the overall relationship looks like is, is there ever times where maybe a company hasn't understood how truly invested you are going to be and you know maybe it might not be a good situation for that relationship Yeah, like I feel like I've grown a lot in this. This is just funny because I was going through something very recently and I was like, you know, being able to like be very aware of what's going on and what's happening. And if if I'm not the right person for a brand or for a company, like Mm. let's not force it. Like if it's not like if if we don't match and we are not compatible, like I feel like we need to be very compatible in order to make the relationship work on both ends. Like Mm. if you're looking for one thing and I'm looking for another thing, like as an athlete and investor, I can give you A, B, and C, but you want D, E, F, and G. Like I just might not be the right person for you. But there's no like harm and the reality of like, I love your company. I love your brand. I want to help you. But like, these are my boundaries and my limitations. And I think before I would kind of go with the flow and try to make everything work and try to please whoever. Mm. And like now as I've grown and seen how much like impact I can have on the businesses and things that I really love, I've kind of given, not given up, but like, you know, if it doesn't work, let's just face the reality and be like, Hey, like this isn't the best partnership. Like you know, let's, let's try to find another way or adapt. And I feel like I've been better with my boundaries over the years. And like more recently, just trying to like figure out where I stand with a lot of brands and companies. And like, Mm -hmm. I have huge companies that I absolutely love and have great relationships with. And I have small companies the same, but I, I feel like over the last like year or two, I've really like tried to make an effort to like put boundaries there and like give my best like with whatever brand big or small and in return hopefully having the same relationship that's not just like hey like take this picture and like get out the way like I really Mm -hmm. feel like there needs to be more there just because like I like I like relationships I like people I like brands I like learning about stuff but that's just my personal you know my personal way of learning and enjoying like a company like that's just Mm -hmm. me other people are different but again, like if that's not how we can work and operate, like I'm okay with being like, that was fun. We tried it. Love y'all. Like, see you later. Right. 
that's a huge point, and that's something that I have to work on. So I used to play in the NFL um, and was an athlete as well. And I, I'm like you. I am like you in the sense of I feel like a lot of the brands that I'll invest in or have relationships with, I can I can help anybody, but it's not always mm-hmm. the best use of you know your time and also your relationship. It, it might not be the best company for you if that if it doesn't match up. So besides what we've just talked about, how do you know? when a, a good time or is there a criteria you look for before you invest in a startup or small business? Because it can be risky. Yeah, it definitely can be risky. I am all about like vibes and feels and what I feel mm-hmm. about, you know, the brand or the company or the people that are working there, like who represents the brand, like what people are working here. Like if I came to your mm-hmm. store randomly and I walked in and all of your workers were rude, like No, because that means you're hiring. You're not like even checking for the people that you're hiring. Like I really feel like a business is from the ground up and especially in a startup, like the main people that you have working for you are people that have been there from like the beginning. And like this is kind of interesting because like when I first started with Under Armour, the lady who I used to have custom outfits there, like my tennis outfits were all custom. And the lady who did like my seamstress the whole time I was there, I was with Under Armour for like eight years or so was employee number three. So she was the third employee in, at Under Armour. They oh, called wow. them by number. So like, they'd be like, oh, she's number 27 or she's number 98 or whatever. And so I, this lady that, I won't say her name, but anyways, I loved her to death. And she was employee number three. She was the best ever. I loved her. But I was like, she's the type of people, like she's the type of person that like I would want working at my business. Like her attitude was always amazing. They would fly mm. to different like continents to see me and make sure everything was good. And every time I saw her, like it was, she had a great attitude. She was happy to be there. It could be midnight and she was like, you know, I'm ready, like whatever you need. And I feel like there's not enough people like that who work at companies that are like very happy to be there, excited that they worked at a company for 10 years, excited to grow their careers. Like I feel like a lot of times people just have jobs to have jobs, but I don't think people realize that like, those people represent your brand. Like those people represent you. Like when you're walking down the street, like me, I'm not like, you know, I'm an investor or whatever, but I'm not like, I'm not an employee, a full-time employee, but I would want someone in my company being like, Hey girl, like you can get it here or you can get it there Mm -hmm. or whatever it may be. Like, I feel like that matters. And I don't know. I've like really just looked at, you know, who, who works for you? Like you are who you hire, basically. Like how people say you are what you eat. Like your company is you are who you hire and you are who you work with. And that like says a lot about a brand to me personally. Again, everybody's different. But for me, that's like a big thing that I look at before I kind of do a deep dive or go any further. That's a word, Sloan. Seriously, that's, that's real because I'm that same way. And I love that the idea that you're investing not just in a business, you're investing in people. And, you know, one of my criteria is I need to see how you work. I need to, are, are you as hungry to make this a thing as I would be? Because if I'm going to be fully invested, I can't want it more than the companies that I'm investing in or the opportunities that are being brought to me. So that's criteria number one. And then I look at three things. I look at, do you have an incredible product? Number one. Uh, number two, do you have like the business savvy and the ability to make the deals and get things things done to keep the company moving and amplifying? And that feel like, that's where a Sloan Stevens really, really helps startups and small businesses because 
you know, the eyeballs that you bring besides the fact that you can mentor from a business standpoint and with your MBA, like there's an incredible amount of value there. So can you speak a little bit towards your long-term investments? Yeah. So my long-term investments are something that I started at the very beginning before I did any fun stocks or like anything like that. Like my uncle Ronald was very like, you need to do things the right way. You need, you know, pension, you need retirement, you need all these things. And, and at the time, I really didn't know how important it was. Now, I'm obviously very like invested. I, I follow my pension, and like I know everything that's happening. But I didn't realize how important it was. And you know, as my grandparents got older, they had, my grandparents both had a retirement, and they were only had lived off of my grandparent. My grandpa was 95. My grandma was 90. They'd only lived off my grandpa's retirement, and they still had all of my grandma's retirement. So like, I'm like, okay, I want oh, wow. to save all my money. I want to be like them. Like having full retirement at 95 and 90, I'm like, that's goals. Like I want to, I want to be rich. Like I felt like I'm like, my grandparents are so rich. They have their retirement still. Um, but I just felt like, you know, that was something that I need to learn about. And now that I do know about it, I'm so glad that like my uncle Ronald taught me how to, you know, max out like, you know, my payments and, and make sure I can put the most in like, so I can have, you know, the most, money, like not the most money, but have a significant amount of money. Like when I retire, when I get older and I have, I can live a normal life. Um, but I feel like long-term investing is you have to be so patient. Like you can't, Mm -hmm. you know, it's going to go up and down and like over years and over time. And that's something I had to learn. Like at first I didn't understand it because I would check it and be like, okay, why is it down? Like, why did I lose money now? Like what's happening? And when you kind of really dig into it and you see like how it, how it works and how pensions and, you know, long-term things work, it's, it's easier to understand like the bigger picture, but you also have to understand like the bigger picture could be used like 50 years from now. Like that's the point, you know? So, Mm. um, it's such an interesting process and how it works, but if you actually take the time to, you know, invest in your future from a very young age and like understand that it's going to take a long time for this money to grow or anything to happen with it, you're better off because at the end of the day, you'll win. The The more you wait, the longer you keep it, the more money you make. So Sloan, when do you know when to get out of an investment? Okay. So I feel like I haven't gotten out of that many investments. Like I feel like in the stock market and stuff, I've sold obviously stuff, but not anything that mm. I was actually significantly attached to. So I haven't sold any of my fun stocks, but of my serious stocks, um, when the pandemic obviously was going up and down, that was when a lot of things were like sold and then bought again. Um, Obviously, they tell you not to panic, which I don't panic. I'm super conservative anyway. But I feel like I've had the discussions obviously now because of the pandemic. What do you want to do? Like, how do you feel this is going? Like all of those things. And I feel like the biggest red flag for me is like when your advisor says like, oh, it's not coming back or, oh, it's they're going out of business or, oh, you know, this isn't going to be something that we'll be using much longer. Like don't invest in, you know, this because it's, it, or you take your money out of this because it's not something that, you know, that's not the way forward. And I feel like listening to your advisor on things that they're projecting, you know, five, 10 years from now, like if you're a conservative investor like myself, like keeping your money, not panicking and kind of letting it do its do its thing in there for you and work for you is the most important thing and not panicking. But when there's a clear red flag, like, oh, we won't be using this in 10 years, take your money out and invest it in something that you care about that you know will make you money. Tell us about this generous birthday present 
you got last year. And like, give us this entire story because this is this is wild. Okay, so I literally got the best birthday present last year, and it was a very large sum of money, but in stock. So I turned twenty. I'm like, okay, I turned twenty seven last year, and my birthday present was I. Well, I won't tell you the whole thing, but like I came out and there was like a table full of all of these like gadgets and like trinkets and things. And I was like, I was like, I'm confused. Like, is this supposed to be a trick? Like what's happening? And basically, long story short, I got all of my favorite things, but he bought them for me in stocks. So he bought Mm. them for me on March 18th which was like one of the lowest days like of the stock market. And literally over in one year, my stock doubled. So I, everything that I had, oh, it had wow. doubled. But mind you, I check this baby every single day, okay? I'm like, I have to see what's happening over here, which is so interesting because I never like paid attention to my like day-to-day stocks and like how they were going up and down. And in the pandemic, I was looking at it right. every single day like, okay, what's happening now? Like, why is it going up? Why is it going down? Like, why are certain stores doing way better than others? And like, just random stuff. But I I just felt like it was such a good gift because it honestly made me pay attention more to the stock market and like what was happening every day. Obviously, if you look at, um, like on your phone, you look at like the S&P, you look at all these things, like that really means nothing to you. Like, I would just be like, is it red today or is it green today? Like, that's all I knew about it in the past. And then right. so when I got this birthday gift, it was like a real, like I could study it. Like I was so interested in it. Like, and I called like these stocks like fun stocks because it's like things that I can understand. Like, and it was so much right. more interesting to learn like through that view than it is to learn through, I don't know, the NASDAQ. I do not care about any of that stuff. So I was like, okay, <laughs> this is such a good learning process to actually pay attention to it instead of being like, okay, like I'm a conservative investor. I don't know what any of this stuff means, but I watch the market every day just to see how it's doing. I'm rich today. I'm broke today. Like it's very, like it's up and down. And so I feel like my birthday gift last year, I'm still looking at it every single day. And like, I think it's incredible. Honey, every day. Like there's not a day that goes by that I do not look at this. Like I, oh my God, I was going to say on my phone, but like, it's literally the best thing that's happened to me. Like I honestly... It's so good. It's so good. And is that because of the the fun stock? Like, is that because you're looking at the company? Yeah, because I'm looking at like I want to look at on my phone now, so I can like show you. It's literally the coolest thing because it's fun stock. Like, I actually care about it, and I'm like, and it was a gift, obviously, mm. from someone I love very much. And like, I'm just like, I'm rich. Like, mind you, I was like, okay, I have, a, I had a significant amount of money before, but this made me feel like I was like a billionaire. I was like, bro, this is the right. best thing that's happened to me. Like I could buy, I don't even, I could buy like a house. I, it's just like so much more fun wow. and exciting in this form yeah. of like stuff. So actually when you asked me earlier about like ways, like what would I tell my younger self or whatever, like for parents like that have younger kids who want to be like a pro athlete or whatever it is, like I would tell them like buy your kids stock that they actually care about. Whatever it is, like stuff that they'll actually pay attention to. Not that every parent can afford to buy their kid's stock. Like it's just another way of like introducing them to finances and like paying attention to wealth and what they can do to manage like their wealth in the future. Like I feel like that's like something cool that can be like another way to like introduce your kid to finances. I love that. My son is nine and that would be an incredible way to introduce him to the stock market and investing in an early age. That's 
That is, that is a, a perfect tactic. I, I really do like that. So what is not so fun stock? Okay, so not so fun stock is the, the stock that you go on your iPhone and you pull it down and it's like the NASDAQ, the NYSE, the Dow Jones. Like, come on, Dow Jones. Everyone knows who that is, but like no one knows what that is. Like if you ask someone, they'd be like, I know it's a stock market, but like, what is it? So I feel like those are not right. fun stocks. But fun stocks that right, you can understand right. actually help you like understand the market. Now I understand like the ups and downs of the market because I had fun stock. If I didn't have fun stock, I'd still gotcha. be like, don't know what's happening there. It's just red today. Yeah. So those are so the fun stocks are the things again that you know and love, and you honestly by supporting those brands, you're actually helping your money grow. So it's like you get it on both sides. Although we had different upbringings, Sloan and I take a very similar conservative approach to money. Growing up in a household that didn't have a lot of disposable income meant once I started making good money, there was a learning curve for me on how to truly take advantage of the opportunity. I always tell young professional athletes to put the same level of effort you put into making your money into learning how to make it grow. And that's what I did. I started investing small amounts that I felt comfortable with while learning as much as I possibly could about money and figuring out my personal risk tolerance level. The result was me developing a personal philosophy and approach to money management, growing my stock portfolio, and investing in small businesses that fit me and my life experiences. All right, let's get back into it. You talked about Under Armour. Was that your first uh, major brand deal? Yeah. Under Armour was like my first like big brand that I yeah worked with. So how did that, I mean, you talked about getting shares in the company. What was that process like? You, you, it was like a, a, a dual sided deal that you got shares and obviously you deal with them. To, t- talk to us about that. Yeah. So when I first signed with Under Armour, I was like 15, I think I was, I was 15 or 16 when I had just turned pro. It was just like a regular like brand brand deal. They were just getting into tennis. They didn't make tennis shoes yet. Like I was the first tennis athlete they had. Like, you know, it was kind of like a, a step out, but they paid me a decent amount of money. And like, it was my first like big deal. So we went with it. And then when I was 18, 18, 19, I did really well in the Australian Open where I beat Serena. Mm-hmm. And that was also contract year. So it happened to be good that I was mm. like re-upping. And then that's when I got my right. first initial stocks. And yeah, like I obviously then didn't really understand stocks or whatever, but I just knew it was a lot of money. And I was like, that can help me like later in life. So I was like, I'm good. I'm keep, going to keep it forever. And Under Armour was doing really, really well then. Like Kevin Plank was, yeah. you know, buying up everything. They had just signed Cam Newton. Like all of these things were happening for Under Armour. Mm-hmm. So it was like a very like exciting time. And like I was, ex- I was a part of like a super exciting brand that had all these like great athletes, Kemba Walker. Like we were small boutique, but like we were grand because that's when they were like getting into all the schools and like Maryland was hype and everyone was like, you know, it was, it was a big deal. They were growing, they were kind of everywhere. And it was like a fun thing to be a part of. And then Mm-hmm. Like I, I was invested in the stock, but like not as much, obviously, as I am now. Like I just thought it was really cool that they had like offered me that because I was one of the first, you know, tennis athletes or whatever. And then for a long time, obviously, I was with them until I was 24, 25, and right up until I won the U.S. Open. And 
yeah, like obviously I had been with him for so long. Like I said, I had custom outfits. Like I had everything that, you know, I could have dreamt of. And like the contract was good because it was, you know, I had got, I got stocks. I was getting paid. Like I was, and I, I felt like Under Armour was really my family because I had gone from like a 15 year old. I was with them for like eight or nine years. And like, I knew everyone that worked there. Like I said, I knew employee number three. Like I was very like involved and like Kevin and everyone, right. like everyone who worked for Kevin was like his like college roommates and like people he went to college with. And like, I felt like we were like a really big family. Like to this day, I still talk to people who work there. Like literally, like I, I felt like Under Armour, like when it says like, this is our house, like all those things that happen with like their like brands and their campaigns and stuff. Like I really felt like we were all like cool. Like all the athletes were cool, connected mm. and they did a really good job of that. So I felt like going into like these other brand deals and things, I was like, I want to feel like I, you know, I'm connected with the CEO. Like I know him, like that's my homie. Then like, you know, all the other brand athletes and stuff, like I want to feel like I know them. And like, I want to feel like, you know, like not that I know them, like I'm oh, going to their house. I know them, but like, there's like, it's kind of like a family unit and Under Armour is very much like that. Obviously right. I'm with Nike now and they're a massive company, but all of my friends are with Nike. So I'm like, we're all big one, one big family too. So I don't mind it, but I felt like Under Armour was small. We were boutique and I grew with them from like, you know, me doing, you know, having my first result and my first Grand Slam when I was 18 to then like winning the US Open when I was 24. Like that was like a big gap. And they shared like that whole journey with me. And mm -hmm. I felt like I was very connected. We were all very connected. And that's what made the relationship so great. I feel like. And that was like, they were on a juggernaut then. They had you, Cam, they had Steph Curry, Jordan Spieth was there, Tom was there. It was, yeah, that was, that was absolutely a moment. So when you're investing, what are the things you're apprehensive about? Well, that I'm going to lose all my money um, and whatever it is I invest Natural. in. <laughs> That's probably the first <laughs> thing. Um, but no, I feel like you have to do all of your due diligence, like be before you even give anyone any of your money or your time or whatever it is. But like, I'm a very conservative person in, in general, just in life. And I always try to think of like, okay, do I want to be involved with this type of brand or company in the long run? Like, are they good for like, do they fit me personally? Like, are they a good brand for me? Like, just in general, like the overall spectrum. So I always try to like, make sure that we have like good alignment, if that makes sense. And I don't like yeah. pick things based on like, oh, that looks cool, but like I don't really know anything about it. Um, I always try to like do a deep dive, but I would say the biggest thing I always is like, no one ever wants to lose their money. But like I told you before, like I want to make sure that I'm aligned with the company and the people before I do like anything else. I, I love that. I mean, wrapping my mind around the concept of risk was a very big thing as far as managing, you know, wealth, because I, I think for a, a lot of people, when you come up under certain situations, it's like, oh, once you get something, you want to hold on to it, which is smart once you are taking the time to educate yourself and learn as much as possible before you start getting your feet wet. But it, it was the turning point for me was when I realized I was also risking you know, what I have by not making my money work for me. Because the opportunity there, it's it's the same thing, right? You want your you want to put your money to work. You want to start learning that process and put yourself in position. We talked about buying stock for children. Like 
yes, you have to have the means to do so, but it could start as little as possible, right? Like learning that process. And even if it's not you gifting your children a bunch of stock, you learning about it and passing that information on for when they put themselves in position can honestly change the trajectory of your family for generations. And to your point, understanding that risk, it's that's that's where it starts. Yeah, you definitely have to understand that. Like I feel like, um, it's so funny, my brother... Um, works, has a normal job, whatever. And he was like, I don't want to use the bank anymore. And I was like, you don't want to use the bank. I was like, what is it? He's like, the bank definitely is taking my money. I was like, (laughs) what are you talking about? Like literally for like months, like he would tell me and my mom, like the bank is definitely taking my money. Like, come on, like you guys know this. Like, I'm like, the bank doesn't take your money. I was like, that's illegal. Like they cannot do that. So just like thinking of like Mm. my younger brother and mine, like him being like, I'm going to store my money at your house or I'm going to like, you know, you hold on to my money. I'm like, bro, this is why they have banks. Like you take it, you deposit it. Like it Mm -hmm. takes a couple days for it to clear whatever. And then your money's in there. You just use your debit card or whatever. And just thinking of like how my brother grew up with me and my mom and like we're very like money savvy. We, we, you know, we take care of our money, my uncle Ronald. Like there is always an odd one out. And like my brother is definitely the odd one out, but he's like finally coming around. And I'm like, you should invest in this stock. You should invest in something that you're like actually interested in. You know, there's a different like path for everyone, but you can pick a path that can still get you interested in money and investing and things that like can dip, you can dip your feet in, in order to like help introduce you to the world of investing on like a super small level. I love that. I love that. I mean, I, I have, I also know a lot of people who feel like being unbanked is the, is, is the way to go. But to your point, it's not, it's, it's, it's getting over that kind of fear of, okay, this is what we're doing. This is why you should be doing this. And this is how it helps put you in a better situation, right? It's, it's creating the opportunities to teach more people about their financial literacy and also the opportunity that it presents from a wealth management standpoint. Thinking back to when you first started investing your money, have you evolved uh, with the way you make your decisions? Like, you know, we talked about it early on. Now is it, can you see yourself doing things differently than you did back then? Yeah, definitely. Like my first investment was like significant investment, I would say. Like was I, I bought a house, like I bought a condo and like my uncle Ronald was like, you should buy a house. Like you should buy somewhere you can live on your own. Like, you know, you can practice, you can train, you can have some independence, you'll like it, whatever. And that was like my first Mm -hmm. big investment. So I tried to convince my brother last year when the mortgage rates were super low. I was like, you should buy a house. I was like, it's perfect. Buy a house, be the first thing you invest in, rent out the back house. I had this whole grand plan for him. And he literally looked at me and was like, you don't know what you're talking about. I was like, all right, cool. (laughs) So I feel like listening is also a very important part in this. Like you have to be able or be willing to listen to people who are actually telling Mm -hmm. you like, hey, this is a good thing. Mind you, you don't know if everyone has your best interest and like is actually for you and whatever. But I felt like I'm just that person who listened like, hey, like you should do this because, you know, in five years it'll be worth this. Or when you move out and you get a bigger house, you can rent it and have, you know, passive income, whatever it may be. Like I... I was always a listener. My brother, like I said, is completely opposite of me. He probably won't buy a house until he's like 40, like on the path that he's going. But like, I feel like listening and being open to investments and having other people that have gone through it that can show you like, hey, now like I don't live there, but I make money off of my, you know, I make rental income. 
Mind you, I don't mm. need the rental income, but it's cool because I was like, now I'm so attached to this place. I bought it when I was 18. Like, I don't want to get rid of it. But for me, like, it's an interesting investment. Like, it's something I don't have to do anything for. Like, it's just there. But it's yeah. a great way. Like, it was a great way for me to kind of transition from, like, you know, my first big investment, which was in this condo. And then now it's, like, making me money all these years later. And my Uncle Ronald was like, see, this was, like, a good investment. Like, this is good for you. Like, these are things that, you know how the kind of the trajectory of like investing your money and where it's going. Like when I had to buy the condo and they took all the money out of my account, I was like having a heart attack. But now like long term, I'm like, that was so cool. Like I wish like, you know, other people did that or younger people mm -hmm. were like open to buying a house. Like it, yes, it's a commitment, but it's actually like very good for you. And like you can end up making money off of it. Like long term, it's a very good investment. And that was, like, my first big investment. And I wish, like, my brother would buy a house. Like, I wish it for everyone because I'm, like, it's such a good, like, starting point where you can, like, show yourself commitment and, like, reliability and accountability. Like, all of those things. Like, not that people that are, like, 20 want to be able to be doing that. But it's such an accomplishment. And I felt like I felt so accomplished when I, like, bought my first place and, like, made my first big investment. The thing I love about you is that you, you're so willing to learn, do the work and take the small steps to get to where you are now. Like, imagine if someone who started playing tennis said, hey, I'm just going to go play in the French Open day one. Like, yeah, if, that's, if you're looking at the French Open for day one, then, yeah, it's going to be intimidating to go into a professional tennis career. But you understand the first step is getting a racket. Right. And then going to the court, maybe learn to hit the ball, maybe talk to somebody about how you hit a tennis ball. And I feel like finances are the same way that you have to put yourself out there, take the baby steps. And over time, you will build the knowledge and along the way, make some really, really cool and smart decisions that put you in a better place. Yes, it's such a learning process, but honestly, it's been so worth it. And I'm like, because it's I've had such a good process, I'm like trying to convince my brother now, like, OK, you should do this. Like, I told, I've been there. I know, like. I'm going to, I'm going to help you. Right. And I feel like that part of like sharing those, like, Hey, this worked for me. Like maybe it'll work for you. Like, this is a great bank. Like you can get a debit card. You like all of those things are things that I learned. And I would hope that like, he will listen to me eventually he will. But like, I hope that, you know, whoever it is, whoever else, like the generation of, of people who are able to save money and who are actually interested in finances, like pass that information down because it really does change the trajectory of like savings and the wealth gap and like all of these things like have so like the impact on these things are so big. And I feel like just a little bit of knowledge goes like such a long way with finances, especially for people of color. Absolutely. Now, based on your like recent announcements, I mean, you've invested in an energy bar, a uh, drink mix for hydration, clothing line. Besides investing or including investing, what, what are your financial priorities right now? Like, where are you at now where you're like, hey, I want to, these are the things that I'm focused on with my finances at this stage of my life? So for me, my biggest thing is now when I, you know, started saving money, when I got my first big check, like after I won the US Open, that was like obviously the most amount of money I've ever gotten like at one time when my that mm. direct deposit hit I was like oh my god <laughs> like <laughs> but I really wasn't that rich like compared to a lot of people I wasn't that rich but I was like wow this is so cool like wow I was it was very exciting <laughs> but I set up a plan to like save a certain amount of money by the time by 2025 
And mm-hmm. so the first couple of years, like, yeah, like still now, obviously not the pandemic. I, we didn't work at all last year, but I've mm-hmm. been able, I'm over 50% of my goal of what I want to have saved by the time I retire. So for me, that's a good step. Like, obviously I had to learn about like what, what your money does when you put it in the bank account. I had to like calculate all of the money, like I would be able to spend when I retired, like what I could live off for every year if I saved mm-hmm. this amount of money. And if I fell short, if I went over, like, you know, what my spending every year could be. And like, we really calculated it down to a T of like what my expenses are and what I pay for now and like all of these things. And my main financial goal is to obviously fulfill my goal of reaching so I can live a comfortable life. Obviously, if I retire today, I would be totally fine. But I feel like I plan to have kids. I probably will buy another house. Like, I I have to always throw in there that I like nice things. Like, that's just my lifestyle. And I think coming, like, being aware that, like, I'm not, like, I'm expensive. Like, I think about it every day. Like, I have a Starbucks. I'm like, this drink is $10. Like, what am I doing? Like, I think being aware of, like, the things you spend, like how you spend money, like what you purchase, what you buy, like all of those things, like in the long run, like not that I won't be able to do it, but I won't be spending money like I am now. Like not, I don't spend a lot of money anyway, but in tennis, like all of your um, expenses are my own. So all of my flights, all of my hotels, all of my coaching, all of my fitness, everything is on me. I won't have those expenses when I retire, obviously, but I plan to have kids, like all of these things, like it changes from, you know, my sport and my lifestyle to like, family and travel and experiences and all those things. And I, and I want to be able to save enough money to be able to do all of those things without any restrictions. So right now, my biggest goal is to reach the goal of financial freedom, I would say for myself, so that when I retire, I can live freely. You said that when that direct deposit hit, it felt it was it was different. What's, what's the first thing you bought? Big purchase you made after that big direct deposit hit. Oh my god, I really didn't even buy anything. It was like so boring. Like I, there had to be something, Sloan. You had to buy something big, even if it was a Birkin. Is a big, that's a big purchase. So at some point, there had to be a big ticket item that you said, "All right, I've worked hard. I'm gonna get this thing." Yeah, no, I, the following year I made a big purchase, but like that's the thing. I've never purchased anything that was over unless it was a house. I've literally never in like one setting purchased anything that was over like $30,000. Like I've never like. Really? No. Like unless it was like a house or a car. I I bought my mom a car for her 50th birthday. That's a big purchase. I won't say the brand, but like she wanted this like rinky dink car. So I was like, (laughs) let me get it for her. So (laughs) it was like her little putt putt car, but she loves it. So that's fine. But um, I love that. That's dope, though. Yeah, like, I don't know. Like, I, I just am not that type of person. I'm not, like, super lavish. Like, I don't have, like, mm. a lot of things. I, I will say, though, the following year when I went to Paris, I bought four Birkin bags when I went to Paris the following year. Because I was like, I'm going to yeah, save up. That's a big purchase. I'm not going to buy anything now. And then, like, the next year I did. But I'm the type of person who it takes me a year or longer to buy something. I'll go back to the store eight times before I actually purchase whatever it is. Like, and I know some people, like my mom is so annoyed with that. Like I'll be, I'll go look at something eight times before I go buy it. Like I'm not purchasing, like first, and I'm going to wait for it to go on sale. Like this sweater (laughs) went on sale. Okay. Like I was like, I am not paying full price for this. It's no way. Like, I just feel like I have too much time on my hands. One, I do feel like that, but two, like 
it's just, you got to be sure before you, you buy things, right? Like something that you're going to keep for a long time. Like I don't believe in like buying something and only keeping it one time. Like, I don't think you should waste money on that. Like on, on material things that you'll never buy again, like, or never wear again or wear Mm -hmm. one time. Like this watch that I'm wearing, I've had this watch since 2013 and I wear it like I just got it yesterday, like very proudly. Like I'm just that person. I wear everything that I have and I wear it out. And when you see me, you're going to see my nice stuff because I'm going to wear it all the time. Like I'm proud of the purchases that I make. I make sure I buy things on sale and I make sure that like I don't want to waste stuff. Like I feel like people waste a lot of money on just like silly stuff. And I don't like that. That makes me feel like bad because I feel like there's so many people in the world who could like what what you could do with a watch or what you could do with, you know, a jacket that's designer. Like there's so many people that could do way more stuff with what the things that I buy just to like look good. Like obviously I buy nice things. I buy expensive stuff. But in the grand scheme of things, like do I need something new every single month? Like no. Like I could help right. a kid go to college. I could like you know, donate money to a a foundation or a charity. And and I feel like that's more like rewarding than just like buying up a whole bunch of stuff that won't be used. Right. And that makes sense. We are very, very, very similar people, Sloan, because I do the same thing with big purchases. I have something I want and then I'll just make it stretch. And like after a long time, if I still want it, then I'm like, okay, you can get it. But most times I... I get over it. Yes. Because nine times out of 10, I'm like, eh, I don't want that anymore. And just like that, boom. All right. So what advice do you have to younger women, black women specifically, that want to get their feet wet with investing? I say you have to go for it. Like, it's so intimidating, and I know it is, but you literally just have to be like, you know, I'm going to start small. I'm going to find someone to invest with or, like, find a partner. Like, I always like to say, like, you need an accountability partner in, like, everything that you do. And I feel like very small investments or very small, like, you know, seminars or things that you can just, like, listen to other people invest in, like, what they're – how they've gone through it or what they've done or who they invested with or maybe the people that Mm -hmm. they used. Like, I feel like that's really important before you just, like, jump in, obviously, because the stock market is very, like – is very crazy and hectic. So I feel like whatever it is that you do, like know what you're doing before, like make sure you do all your research, but just like you have to just dive in. Like people are so intimidated and scared of the stock market and losing money. And like you should be afraid to lose your money because the stock market is a scary place. But if you do it the right way, like you'll have a good experience and then you'll tell Mm -hmm. your friends and then you'll tell your other friends. And then as you invest and do things like you'll learn from other people you'll learn how it goes like you'll you'll understand the market more and then you can educate others on what you've learned and how you can help others and like I feel like whenever somebody asks me I'm like yeah like you should use this person or you should go here because they have like really great seminars and like they teach you stuff and you learn more and like I feel like Mm -hmm. being that you know being a black woman and investing and like being very interested in it, I see that there's not very many people that look like me that are super interested in it. And I would love to see more black women interested in investing because black women are so smart, so brilliant, and they just don't know what they can do in the stock market and with investing. And I feel like it's an empty space and there's so much room for growth. And I would love to like help people invest. Look, not help, let me back that up. Not help them invest, but like show them like, (laughs) hey, like, you know, this is a a space for you and and, like you're accepted here and you're not the only one. And I feel like that's like a really cool thing, but I wish more people would just, you know, take that leap and be like, you know, I'm just going to try it. Right. 
Well, you talked about helping people. Tell us about your foundation. Oh, my foundation. It's literally my favorite part of every day. Um, so we're based in Compton, California, and we served Compton University, the school district. And mm-hmm. um, basically, we have tennis in elementary, middle, and high school. And our first girl just made the playoffs for – she goes to Compton – no, she goes to Centennial. And so for us, like, we've just grown the game in, in Compton. And we literally started summer camp yesterday. So they're back actually in summer camp. They missed last summer, so that was, like, very hectic. We did online summer camp last year, and that was Mm -hmm. tough, but we got through it. And then this year they're back, and they're actually able to play tennis again, which is really nice. Um, We have after-school recess tennis and Saturday tennis. So we play tennis all the time. And like I told you before, my mom is super into education. So for us, having that educational component with the foundation, like all of our kids do the Arthur Ashe reading essay contest. Um, We do reading development over the summer because kids always – You know, when they go home, they don't read, they don't do much of anything, and they drop, most of the time, they drop one or two reading levels. So my mom's worked really hard to make sure that they have access to that, those readings and, like, things like that. But just because it's super important when you're going from, like, third, fourth, fifth grade, like, to keep up with your reading. And, Mm -hmm. um, like I said, coming from a family that's super education driven like it's been a big a big point for us to make sure that our our kids are supported and yeah like it's honestly me and my mom and everyone that helps us like this is like the highlight of our day we love seeing our kids being able to like prosper and flourish and use tennis as a vehicle to get you know to where they want to go and and I feel like we've offered we've been able to give a lot of opportunities through tennis and for me that's the coolest thing because tennis has given me so much in my life and I've been able to travel the world and meet people and like meet presidents and like all these amazing things. And it's because I, I play tennis, you know, like my mom put me in tennis and it's been obviously the highlight of my life. And without tennis, I wouldn't, you know, be where I am today. I wouldn't be speaking to you. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like giving that back to a, a, a community like Compton that's so underserved, like they also see that they can be me, you know? And like, I, I feel like yeah. Even when I go there, they don't even know. Like some of them are like, oh, my God, you're the girl we see on YouTube. Like they don't even like put two and two together. Like, oh, like you're actually good at tennis. I'm like, yes, I'm good. Like they are just so excited to see like a professional and see someone who is like you're on TV. Like you're so cool. And like I feel like mm-hmm. when I'm there, I'm not like Sloan, the tennis player. I'm just like Sloan, Sybil's daughter because my mom goes every day. And like those are her kids. Like those are her babies. And And I feel like we're able to make a real impact in Compton and we do stuff all over the country. We do stuff in Florida. We have high performance, like we have all these things, but um, Compton has really been our baby because we've been able to mm. be so hands-on, so grassroots. Like we've been able to make a huge impact there. And honestly, like some of our first kids are going to Compton college. So you get two years of free college. If you go, if you graduate from a Compton Unified School District school. So two of our girls are going, which is super excited, like first-generation college students. So we're wow. just, like, super excited. And and I know, like, you know, for me, tennis has been always so grand and so big because I travel the world and I do all these things. But, like, for me, like, having our first student go to college and be, like, a, you know, first-generation college student is, like, I think for me that's the biggest win biggest one of the year so far. So I think, you know, we've, we've done our best and everything that we, we do with the foundation. And we're actually seeing like the fruits of that labor and these kids grow. And like, you know, like, honestly, there's like nothing better. I'm like about to cry. Like, I'm like, Oh my God, like we, we've worked so hard. And like, my mom is like, these kids are her kids. And like, it's just been so rewarding. And 
yeah, it's like honestly the highlight of like every day for us. Especially for those kids, being able to see it, to be able to touch Sloan Stevens, see what you are, what you represent, not just being an incredible tennis player, but a businesswoman, investing, going beyond there, you know, teaching them financial literacy is a big part of that, right? And them being able to see it literally changes that community's trajectory and life that's inspiring, incredibly impactful, necessary resource for the families of Compton. First off, thank you. Congratulations on everything you're doing there. That is that is truly amazing work, Song. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Okay, so you shared uh, your mantra that it's not if, it's oh, when. Oh, it's when, yes. Meaning that it's not a question for you if you will achieve what you're working towards. It's just a matter of time. So what's the next thing for Sloane Stevens that she is working towards? My financial freedom goal is like my number one goal on here. And then my number two goal, it's not if it's when, well, I'd say tennis wise, like that's like, we can all relate to this, but like, I feel like in my job, which is tennis, I've had a lot of like setbacks and things to like overcome and mm -hmm. get through like a lot of adversity and all of this stuff. And I feel like my number one goal in my career right now is to be happy and be fulfilled, mm. but to also actually enjoy what I do every day. And I feel like as an athlete, it's very like emotional. It's very up and down. And like you have life things happen and you still have to go to work every day. And I think for me to like actually be happy and enjoy being on a court and competing is like one of my biggest goals. So like no matter what that looks like from the outside to you or to mm -hmm. my mom even or whoever, like me genuinely enjoying my job and being like enjoying the passion and love that I put into my sport, I think is like one of my bigger goals. And like to have that actually show, like I may think it and I may like feel it, but like actually outwardly show the love that I have for my sport and competing and like being genuinely happy, like when I'm playing, like playing tennis and doing my job, like I think that's like a really big goal for me. That's amazing. Uh, well, like you said, it's not a matter of if, it's when. Sloan, thank you so much for joining us. On Needing Dough, you are the definition of more than an athlete. I appreciate you joining us here on the show. No, I appreciate you. This was so good. And now I feel like we're like BFFs because we talked for so long. So thank you. Just like that. <laughs> <laughs>